Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we have found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. You will notice I'm wearing some merch. Did we, did we sell this? No, it was made by my lovely wife. And Sebastian even got a matching one today, but he didn't want to wear it because... Let me look like those weirdos that have matching shirts. That only <laughs> happened once on this podcast. The pink matching shirts, and you can see we... Not today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sebastian, what do we have today? Your favorite topic, or something that's very close and dear to your heart, which is theonomy yeah it's kind of the, the topic of you know what genesis this episode was i said i watched the most recent republican debate and i was like sebastian should we do like whose platform is most christian and sebastian's like i don't know how are we going to judge that none of them are real christian so let's talk about <laughs> theonomy because that's really what i wanted to talk about anyways and i was like thanks sebastian let's do it so we found some random channel this isn't a super knock on this channel um there there's some presbyterian generally conservative presbyterian mm-hmm. channel but they're not Doug Wilsonites, um, which are people who are conservative Presbyterians, and mm-hmm. so don't get them confused. And they also are on the anti-theonomy train. If you aren't familiar, theonomy is all the rage right now. It used to be the rage in the 80s, too. Um, there was a Reconstructionist movement. The general principle of theonomy is theonomus is what theonomy means, that God's law. So it's the study of God's law, and how do we apply it today? In the 21st century, in wherever your country is, we happen to live in America. So this is the way the Western world has lived, the Christian world has lived for thousands of years, has been trying to apply God's law to society. How do you run society based on God's law? Um, and it's really only been since the Enlightenment, at most, at least, you know, the 1960s, that people have abandoned God's law as the basis for why we make laws and instead have decided that we're judging what makes a good law based off of studies and economics and social sciences and things like that and so in the 80s there was a revival of the thought that we should be basing law off of god's law it's called christian reconstructionism because it wanted to reconstruct the united states in a a more godly image with more godly law it didn't really go anywhere because of many infighting issues and none of the Christians could agree on what godly law was and there was a lot of mm-hmm. um, general politic bantering. But out of that movement has come another resurgent here in 2020s um, in America, the same sort of thing. We have a tunnel social division and strife in the church, in society as a whole. How could we have unity? Well, it's by turning to the Bible and the Bible has a lot to say about law. So I'm super passionate, like Sebastian said, about the topic because I think it's the way to unite the church with a good common politic. Even if you don't agree on every specific application of the law, at least you're looking in the same place for how Mm. you determine what good politics are. You're looking to the Bible. Whereas I think the vast majority of well-intending Christians look at the debate stage, the Republican debate stage, and decide who's the most handsome, and they pick the one they like the best without ever thinking about the Bible. The most they think about the Bible is is somebody pro-choice or pro-life. Um, but that looking towards the Bible for what makes good politics should always extend to, to to every aspect of God's law, not just abortion. Take it home. Why should we even look at the Bible for this? Because God speaks about good law and everybody, you, you will always have politics in, in life. We are not politicians, not yet at least. Um, I have, I've dabbled. Yeah, I guess you yeah, have <laughs> dabbled. You can pass the law over here. Um, ask later. Uh, <laughs> But most people are not politicians. They'll never be a politician. But that doesn't mean, especially in this country, that you won't have to make a political decision. And of course, we all have political opinions. And so 
and political opinions are what divide churches these days over COVID, over the response to Donald Trump. I mean, you would have to be blind to think that politics don't play an active role in everybody's life. So of course the church should have some message to speak into politics. That does not mean, and we've said in this podcast before, it does not mean you should be hanging the American flag over the pulpit. It doesn't mean you should be specifically stumping for candidates. This isn't a make the Republican Party and the church the same thing. This is a how do we judge the Republican Party? How do we judge the Democrat Party based on actual God's law, not just our feelings? Mm-hmm. So all that to say, that's our big pitch, pro-theonomy. There are those who stand against it because the United States hasn't been on the theonomy train for the past at least 60 years. Um So they are also well-meaning. They're also conservative. We're going to see, I think this is probably the strongest position you're going to get that's anti-theonomy out there. There are some weaker Mm -hmm. ones that we ignored, Um, but this podcast gives a pretty um, strong attack on theonomy that we want to examine today. We didn't want to take a weak attack on Mm -hmm. it. Well said. All right. All that blabbing. Let's let's talk. Well, it's, it's easy enough to consider or think about Progressive Christians. Progressive, I mean, in this, in the using the categories of American politics uh, or European. Um, you think of groups like Sojourners or other things like that that are typically on the lefter side of things and mainline Protestantism. Do you have any examples of this type of thinking, though, from from a conservative side, maybe even a theonomic side? Just going to pause to summarize. He's saying liberal Christians get their politics all mixed up in their Christianity, and it's bad. But do we also see this from conservatives, from people who believe in theonomy? Um, the problem isn't, do you get politics mixed into your religion? The problem is, what kind of politics do you get mixed into your religion, right? And liberal politics are not God's law. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, it's, this is a stunning thing, Camden. Uh, back in, uh, I believe it was 1987, that's the year I became a Christian, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, Gary North, who uh, I've, I still own uh, in various places almost everything he wrote. I, I bought and read his material back uh, when I became a Christian in the late 80s. He has a book entitled Dominion and Common Grace. And let me just give you the thesis, and I'll give you a couple of quotes. But it's a stunning uh, uh, book for this reason. He advocates that we should ask unbelievers to attain cultural prosperity through partial obedience that comes from unregenerate hearts. And the goal for doing it, we should just be honest, is the attainment of the gifts of cultural dominion. Partial obedience yields external blessing, whether you believe in God or not. And and it's it's a it's a stunning thesis. I think I've overused that term, an astonishing one. Listen to what he says. I'll give you a couple of quotes from pages 173 and then 176 and 77. He says, a theology that is orthodox must include a doctrine of common grace that is intimately related to biblical law. Law does not save men's souls. But partial obedience to it does save their bodies and their culture. Down on 176 and 7, the law of God is a tool of dominion. When men adhere to its principles externally, they receive God's external blessings. This common grace obedience brings external blessings, and it may also bring external influence. Now, what is so uh, surprising about this? Before he gets to his comment, how do you feel about that quote first? It's straight up Christianity, guys. I mean, I, I want to hear his objection stated so that we can really address his objection, but um, realize the Jesus joke here, um, that that men who are anti-theonomy or even on totally different subjects, you always want to watch out that somebody actually um, 
successfully rebuts a question and doesn't ignore the question and say something that we all believe in, which I think is the hallmark of conservative Christians who are liberal on politics is to do exactly this, is to say, um, you think we should care about abortion. And we all go, "Uh uh-huh. And they go, well, you shouldn't care about abortion because you should care about winning souls to Jesus. And you could be the most rabid anti-abortionist out there and still be a, you know, a flaming Hindu, he, a liberal, um, unsaved man, heathen, right? Mm-hmm. And we'd all go, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't refute the fact that abortion is still bad. So that you call it a red herring. I call it a Jesus juke, whatever you want to call it. You bring up some unrelated, truly unrelated Jesus fact that we all should be preaching the gospel, amen, and we go, amen, but that you just, is, are you saying that we shouldn't be anti-abortion? And so men like Tim Keller, John Piper, conservative Christians who've done a lot of good work, they have totally bit it in a bad way on politics. And it's because they do the Jesus juke. They'll say, you want to bring Christian law? Um, thankfully, John Piper and Tim Keller are both anti-abortion, um, but uh, maybe Tim Keller less so before he died. Uh, but they will say things like, you think that we shouldn't ta- be taxing people as much? Um, well, don't you think something more important is the fact that Jesus is God? And we're all like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but that wasn't the topic of discussion. And they go, you should always be thinking about Jesus. It's That is a Jesus juke. And so watch out for it if he does that. Mm-hmm. But everything Gary North had to say about partial obedience to law, giving grace, of course it does. Of course it does. And I don't know if you have comments about this, Sebastian, but of course. Of course, partial obedience to law gives grace. We, we have to have a law. So would you want bad law or good law? I think we can take it from Yahweh himself. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Mm-hmm. So do you want the blessings of God or not? So... And understandably, ancient Israel wasn't all believers. So understandably, any modern nation is not going to be 100% made up of believers. But would you rather have godly law in the nation or ungodly law? Because we know that you can't change mm-hmm. the hearts of the people, but mm-hmm. would you either have good law or bad law? Of course you want good law. Right. So keep that in mind. Hear his answer to see, you know, does he address? How, how do you overcome then the, the, the call from Yahweh in the Old Testament, I would say in the New too, to honor him in all the aspects of our life? is that you wouldn't expect um, a Calvinist who has a very high doctrine of sin to say that unbelievers can mechanically bring about external blessings by partial faithless conformity to moral civil laws. Mm. But he goes so far in that volume to describe Isaiah 65, 17 through 25 about the new heavens and new earth as something that is realized at least partially through Um, external conformity to God's moral law so that all might enjoy outward temporary blessings. So I hope you saw the Jesus juke when he started talking about Calvinism. Because what he said, just to reiterate, was that you wouldn't expect a Calvinist who believes in in high doctrine of sin, he said, meaning that he believes that unbelievers are are bound to sin, like they're not going to be good, they hate God intrinsically, that they would be blessed by God, even though they hate God um, and are sinful for doing good things. I think the general miss here, the big miss, is that obedience of the heart results in heart 
benefits, right? So soul, soul obedience, loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength benefits your soul, makes you a better person. Um, outward obedience um, does bless you, right? Nations like the Canaanites who killed their children and slept with their mother-in-laws and all the wicked things that God accuses them of get destroyed by God. Whereas nations like Egypt, though they were wicked, I'm not saying Egypt was good, they were better than the Canaanites. The Lord keeps them around. Like he punishes them. He get, it's not that he wasn't bringing the rod on Egypt, but he sustains Egypt. Like Egypt remains for thousands of years later. The Canaanites are wiped off the face of the planet because of their wickedness. Both are unbelieving nations. One externally obeyed the law more than the other. And so the the, the physical external things that, that unbelievers do, do please God in the fact that the thing is good. Their hearts don't please God, and therefore mm-hmm. them as a whole isn't pleasing to God, but their actions please God, um, depending on the action. So if the action is supposed to be a show of the heart, and it's not, well, then it's not actually a good action. So when the Israelites give a sacrifice, the sacrifice wasn't important. It's their heart during mm-hmm. the sacrifice that's important, and therefore false sacrifices are, are bad and gross to God, and he doesn't like them. But not murdering people, <laughs> right, is a good heart. It's good whether or not a believer does the not murdering. Mm-hmm. And again, the reason why we call these things good is because God has prescribed certain actions as being good mm-hmm. and some being bad. Where are we getting this from? From God's word. And the the baffling thing to me, he says that Gary North's statement is baffling. The baffling thing to me is that you need a politic. There needs to be some law or choice to whether or not your nation punishes murderers or they don't punish murderers. And so I don't know what weird planet this guy is living on where nobody has to make that decision because we're all too worried about who is really Christian or not. But there is a law of the land for murder in the United States right now. And it's not good. It's it's you go in life in prison. There's basically no death penalty in the United States except for the vast, vast, vast minority of the cases. And God says that if you murder and are convicted by two or more independent lines of witnesses, you should be put to death. That's God's law. The United States is a different law. And this man and the whole church as a, as a whole has to decide which law we endorse. And this man says we shouldn't endorse godly law because there are still unbelievers here in the United States. And if we tried to enforce godly law by saying that there should be the death penalty, well, then those unbelievers would not be saved by it. That's not the point. of The point of the law yeah. wasn't to save their souls. The point of the law was to make a righteous, godly nation. So, um, yeah, that, that would be the Jesus juke to say that you're not saving their souls via the law. Gary North said it. Gary North mm-hmm. said it in his quote. He said that the, the law isn't saving the unbelievers. It's just making a better nation. That's all. And don't you want a better nation? And and the other thing that I will say, and he won't even say in this podcast, I don't think, but many will say that it's impossible. You can't have a godly law in a nation that is ungodly. Okay. But to what extent do you think that you need to have a godly nation in order to have godly law? Because the United States is more godly than Zimbabwe, more godly than communist China. So clearly, even though there are many unbelievers in the United States, majority unbelievers actually, we still have been allowed by God to have more godly law than China, than Zimbabwe. And so who are you to say that we can't succeed? I don't know, you know, we don't know what the Lord will do. Um, I'm not guaranteeing success. Like I'm not guaranteeing that we'll be able to implement God's law. But if you had to choose between God's law or not God's law, why would you not pick God's law? And this kind of Jesus juking, I, I can't think of reasons that it's being done for except to vote against God's law, to say that we can't we can't try to implement God's law. That's crazy fundamentalist talk, whatever buzzwords you need to put in there. Mm. 
I'm voting for Barack Obama. I'm voting for Joe Biden. You know, like the, it's just to juke the the fact that you want to vote politics that aren't Christian. A smokescreen. Which I don't like. I don't know if they're doing it intentionally mm. or not, but you need to vote. Um, when you vote, it needs to be informed voting. And if you are voting because you appreciate um, 30% taxes and you want them to be higher, realize that's actually against God's law. God has... has things to say about the percentage of taxes that should be charged. Um, and it's not 35%, it's not 40%. And so when you want those taxes to go higher for whatever reason, know that you're actually sinning against God um, when you vote for those reasons. And men like this want to ease the consciences of either themselves or parishioners and saying, it actually isn't in the Bible on whether or not we should have a 35 or 40% tax. And therefore, don't make it a big deal. But that, that like hands off, don't make politics a big deal is what's dividing churches in 2020 mm-hmm. and 2022 and 2023. So we need to adjust it as a church. Otherwise, we'll never have unity. I'll mention, does God even bother talking about taxes? Oh, you bet he does. Mm-hmm. Isn't it first or second Samuel when Saul is an anointed king? Mm-hmm. God through Samuel saying to the Israelites, stop it. Don't ask for a king because he will oppress you. He will draft you. He will use you as workers. Mm-hmm. you shouldn't be using and he will charge you 10 percent in taxes yep that's oppression fii for for taxes so yes god does speak all throughout the scriptures on different issues that would be relevant to our life here in the u.s how you run how you do politics what legislation you pass etc mm-hmm. so <coughs> excuse me there's so many things to say about exactly how you implement God's law. So, um, And we have an episode on that. We have a whole episode on it, and, and there's a lot to say. So this is not to say that it's super easy to implement God's law or even understand how it works in the modern day, but at least we should be trying to figure that out, right? right. As, as long as we're looking to the Bible to try to figure out how to apply God's law, we're way more on the right track than saying that we shouldn't even look at God's law like this man. And the thing that's ironic about it, and I'm not picking on Gary North, I think this is the most problematic thing he ever argued, and uh, but it shows where his theonomic uh, hermeneutic led him, um, is that the problem of the theocracy is just that, <laughs> that people were offering partial, half-hearted, insincere obedience to God and prioritized the cultural and social benefits above God himself, and in fact, exchanged the worship and service of the Creator for the accumulation of material goods and financial prosperity. This is true, true, very true, absolutely true. Yet, and there's a big but in here, God still commanded them to do it, no? Um, Yeah, I also think it's totally not true, um, because I don't know what Bible he was reading, but I kind of thought the problem with Judah and Israel wasn't their... Um, not full sincere sacrifices. It's a problem, right? But in God's law, they have, he gives civic laws, what laws that have civic penalties, right? Murder, death penalty. Mm -hmm. And then he has moral laws. Um, Love your neighbor. There's no penalty for not loving your neighbor perfectly. In fact, we'll all fail at that. The penalty is death at the end of days, right? Hellfire. So let's not pretend like it's not a sin against God. It is a sin against God, but there's no civil punishment for it. Um, He... He says the problem with the theocracy of Israel and Judah was that they they tried to keep the law perfectly, but their hearts were bad. 
again, I don't know what, 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 what Bible you were reading, but last time I checked, Israel and Judah did not even attempt to keep the law perfectly. They immediately turned to idolatry in Israel, breaking all the laws, the physical manifestations of the law, not just their hearts, like the, the physical laws. And then Judah also had idolatry. So I kind of think that's the reason they were wiped out, right? Like as soon as um, Josiah, righteous king, dies, God's like, okay, as soon as Josiah dies, I'm wiping y'all out because you all are pagans. And then it's the next king after Josiah is like, let's, let's bring in the Asherah poles. And then the Lord destroys them. So again, I don't know what Bible you were reading or if you just forgot about what actually happened in Judah and Israel, but they disobeyed the law, not just the heart law, but like the big physical law. That's what brought God's judgment. They didn't have two good kings. They had Josiah and Hezekiah. And David. And, Dav- and David, Solomon. yes. <laughs> you know, kind of a tyrant, but <laughs> Solomon. And Asa. I mean, there's, there's, there's some good kings in Judah. But they're not perfect, and they certainly weren't obeying God's law in its entirety, even the physical laws. Um, so don't pretend like the biggest sin of Israel and Judah was their greed. Like, they had a lot of sins. The greed greed mm-hmm. is in there, but I'm pretty sure the idolatry and the rampant like disregard for God is uh, the biggest thing. And so the empty sacrifices, God is mad at, but realize what kind of thing he's mad at there. Like, there's a whole line in Isaiah, right, about him saying, I'd rather you not even sacrifice than give me these crappy sacrifices. It realized that it's it's during it's during when there's a, another idol in the temple, right? That King Ahaz had brought an idol into the temple, mm. and so when they're giving sacrifices, it's right next to I'm forgetting the, the god. I think it's Baal. I'm gonna guess it's Baal, but it's, I think it's an Assyrian god. Anyways, they bring the the idol into the temple, and so that's why God is so peeved about these crappy sacrifices. So yes. God is perfect. So his standard of holiness is very high, and so you need to come with God with a pure heart for sacrifice to be good. Um, but God commanded an unrighteous, ungodly people to obey him. So they should obey him. He didn't He did not command them to do his law because he knew they couldn't attain it. So that you're telling me that we shouldn't command the United States to do godly law because we can't attain it. Are you calling God foolish for having tried to with the Israelites? That, that was really the, the, the thing we need to emphasize, that God still, despite all the garbage that the Israelites did, he commanded them to give sacrifices don't be idolaters, love your neighbor, etc. You know, the, from from all the law and God. Come on, as, Cal- as fellow Calvinists here, we all know that no one can keep the law perfectly. And we know that God is sovereign from beginning to end. Did God not know that these people were going to fail? I'm pretty sure he knew very well that they were going to yeah. fail before he even created them. So, And he still commanded them to obey these laws. And more than that, I mean, I could show you, we never do this in reaction videos, never go out of the actual reaction video, but I'm just going to show you in Deuteronomy. Um, God gives the law to an imperfect people, uh, knowing that they will sin. In fact, he warns them even before the whole Samuel escapade about when you ask for a king, here's how it's going to go. Um, and asking for a king was a sin in of itself. So he's prepared for the full rebellion of Israel and Judah. Um, but even then, in Deuteronomy 4, he says, observe all my laws carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, the, the non-Christians, the, the Gentiles, but like the, the non-God-fearing peoples out there who hear of all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what nation is great enough to have a God as near to them as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? And what, great, what, a nation, and what nation is great enough to have righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? So know that God expected the law to reflect well to the pagans, expected this law to be the envy of pagans, of non-believers. 
And so all the more, today it's entirely applicable that we look to God's law to try to teach the unrighteous, ungodly people in the United States what good law is, and that they would recognize good law and say, that's good law. It's just because they are totally depraved doesn't mean they can't recognize good law when they see it. I, I don't have any measures, like I, and I don't think Gary North does either, of saying that guaranteed 100% in this decade, if we implement God's law, um, everybody will convert in the U.S. Or that all the believers will be, all the non-believers will be super happy and realize all its benefits. I think that those who rage against God will rage against God, whatever the temperature is. But don't think that just because um, God is in charge of who gets saved and, or not, and not the mechanics of how people get saved, um, and like the mechanics don't save people, God saves people. Mm-hmm. God still allows nations to become more righteous or less righteous. So it's just a non, it's it's a non-realistic mindset to say that no nation can become good because nations have become good. They are good, um, good in a relative sense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's there's so many more law statements to say and how God tells all the nations that they should come to obey His law. Big judgments in, in Isaiah 34 like this against the Edomites saying, come near you nations, listen, pay attention, you peoples that the earth here and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all the nations. His wrath is on their armies. Yeah, because they have decided to transgress against him. And how how, how do you know if you are transgressing against God? Well, yeah. Would it be the law? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the only way to know. And Romans speaks all about this. Um, Anybody that reads Romans knows that it's all about the law. (laughs) It's about law and grace, law and grace. And so... It talks about the law judging nations, that people know the law intrinsically, even if they've never heard it and still rebel against it. And then I think a really important point from Romans 3 is this. Um, unbelievers here, their feet are swift to shed blood. Uh, ruin and misery lie in their wake. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So acknowledging that, that unbelievers are wicked. And it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be held accountable to God. I'm going to highlight that for a second because he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, period. People like um, this channel that we're reacting to and others that are against theonomy would say that that kind of statement um, means that is showing that uh, only Israel is accountable to the law because they're the only ones under the law. But then Paul goes on to say, the, so that the whole world is held accountable to the law. Meaning the law applies to the whole world, all the nations, not just Israel. So there you go. There's my many, many, many responses to his very short sentence. This is pretty typical for us, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They exchanged worship for influence and affluence in the land. And so I think um, it's, it's really a, a surprising thing for a reformed theologian to make that sort of claim because he's a saying something very hard to distinguish from more traditional social social gospel approaches where it's we're just trying to make the conditions of our uh social and economic status better but it's also i should just pause it and say the social gospel says you shouldn't even preach the gospel you should only do good things plus they had the wrong politics so like double whammy there right they don't go to the bible for politics and they don't preach the gospel. Gary North is saying preach the gospel. This isn't a, instead of the gospel. He's just saying when it comes to law, promote godly law. Oh, and I think more ironically, it's the polar far side of what Voss is saying. And it's actually, if we compared North to Voss on this, North would be advocating behavior that caused Israel's exile because it was not behavior appropriate to the worship and service of God in the priority. 
ridiculous. Yeah, non sequitur. <laughs> That's a total non sequitur. You think that Israel was was exiled because of their rebellion against God, but Assyria wasn't? Assyria was judged, destroyed because of their non-obedience to God. There was no contract, right? They were destroyed because of their non-obedience, their wickedness against God. So every nation is equally can be destroyed because of their non-obedience to God. It doesn't matter if they're the chosen people or not. Same with Moab, same with Edom in the Minor Prophets. Nineveh was destroyed. Babylon, the Persian Empire. Greece, you know, and the list goes on for her. <laughs> God actually argues, and I think Paul Paul builds on this whole concept, that Israel and Judah sinned more because they knew the law and rejected it. Mm-hmm. And they were more wicked than Egypt. They were more wicked than Greece, not just because they knew the law and rejected it, but they actually ended up doing worse things than Greece, than Egypt, than all these nations that stayed when they did not. Um, they were doing even worse things, prostituting themselves even worse. And so it wasn't because the law was given in Israel and Judah that this happened. It's because they were particularly wicked. God had more patience in them, I think, than he would have other nations um, because they were his chosen people and eventually does decide, of course, to exile them. Um, but the law was not the cause of all this. And Paul says that knowing the law does incite your heart to sin because you naturally hate God, and so you know the law and then you want to break the law. But again, that philosophy shouldn't stop us from trying to implement the law because God commands us to. Yes, again, just to emphasize, this isn't about by following the law, is your heart changed? No, no one can even keep the law. If you break one of the commandments, you've broken all the commandments as we learn from, from the New Testament. It's by the grace of God that we are, that his elect are saved, redeemed, transformed, and sanctified slowly but surely into the image of Jesus Christ. That is a work of God. This is what we're talking about is separate issue. It's related to Christian life, but how does a Christian do politics? How does a Christian run society? Or how do Christians collectively run society? What should we be doing? Where should we be looking at? So it's not, again, how are we saved? This is specifically how should Christians relate to one another how should we run society right and you and you need to have some way to run society so that's why we have to ask the question authority of his glory and the enjoyment of his presence so it's a it's a real stunning yeah uh, i think there might be i haven't read the book so i don't know this whole argument in context at least if he's speaking in terms of contemporary issues like doing this today uh so there's no possibility of retention of you know typological land blessings we're not going to get exiled you know we'll get judged but is he is he maybe also saying uh, something like, uh, well, in general, if you do things that God wants, I mean, it'll go better for you, even if you're not doing them for the right reasons or you don't have a regenerate heart. If you don't kill your unborn children, your society will be better off. If you don't, you know, allow for people to steal from one another, generally you'll ha- you'll prosper better. <laughs> yeah, is it's, it, is it's it, more radical. It's, than that. I, Actually, I figure it here, is. I'll give you the I'll give you the broader. I don't yeah. want to get lost on North because this book. Of all the books he wrote when I was younger, this one fascinated me the most. And I knew intuitively it was just not right, but didn't know until you know a few years exactly how to critique it. He's saying that, A, this stores up wrath for them because they're doing things that they know bring success for them in history. But they're doing it in rebellion against God, and so it stores up wrath for them. So this temporal prosperity is actually something that's storing up wrath for the unbeliever. But secondly— All Gary means there, by the way, is that— they aren't counted righteous for their righteous acts because they still hate God. That's all, mm-hmm. which we agree. They're, they're not just because they um, try to fulfill the physical aspects of the law doesn't actually make them law fulfillers because they don't fulfill the hard aspects of the law. So they're still judged. It, yes, it would be this an, an example. It would be like some Buddhist father in China teaching their child to be respectful and caring for other people. Mm-hmm. Is the action in itself good? 
yes, because I would say that's how God expects parents to relate to their children. Mm-hmm. Is that man saved because he is doing good things? No, that's that's where the and and it's really important for that distinction to be made because there are men like the Pope, the current Pope, who will say that one good action saves you. So the baptism of your children, even though you're an atheist, will save you. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Many human religions will try to appeal to that. For example, Islam, as I'm still plowing through the Quran, oh my goodness, I put that on hold for a while. I'm back at it, but your good deeds earn you the graces of of God in their system. That's not at all what this is, what we're getting at here. It's just how do you run a good society? What is our logic and our source for running a good society? Right. And this is the more radical character of the claim. He's not just saying, you know, generally it's going to go better for you if you don't steal and kill. That's been said by hundreds and you know thousands <laughs> which, of which people. Which is true enough. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, which is a truism. North is saying that... Why is it true? Because yeah. uh, we're all... All those ungodly sinners out there, which there are a lot of ungodly sinners out there, all those ungodly sinners hate God. So how could they possibly not murder? How could we possibly have a law against murder? Wouldn't that... Wouldn't we be thinking they were saved by not murdering if we got a law for murder? No, 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 no. And we, we know it. This guy knows it. He just said it. Like, we know that laws against stealing and, and murder are good. They are part of God's law. So why don't we extend it to all of God's law? Because all of God's law is like that. Um, the only parts of God's law that, that aren't like that are the things that are currently fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Like all the high priesthood stuff and the clean, cleanliness laws. Um, every one of the civic laws are good. They're just like the murder one. Like, they should be implemented. And we know that the high priesthood laws have been done away with because Christ took it on himself as our high priest in the earth of Melchizedek because we don't have a temple anymore in Jerusalem. So God even just doubled down by emphasizing Mm -hmm. all of this has been taken away and has been placed on Christ and fulfilled in Christ. But the rest, where people are still judged by those standards, Mm -hmm. hence why we evangelize people. You present them, like Ray Comfort, you present them the Ten Commandments, which are God's law, mm-hmm. summary of the law, to bring conviction of sin. So it's it's it's, it's important. Yes. It's just important. This is actually the mechanism by which the golden age on Earth is realized. Yeah, that's a major problem. And yeah, and so so for him, I, I would call it a kind of uh, this is a, a little harsh, but it'll make my point. It it you it's it's a thesis that is um, forged toward a utopian end of a millennial kingdom. A time of unprecedented prosperity. Now, Christians get both. This is a strange way of putting it, but Christians get both the spiritual blessings and the cultural blessings. But when all the people on earth recognize how prosperous it is to uh, obey and be blessed with temporal, financial, cultural blessings, they will do it. And as they do it, it will be the mechanism through which the golden age is realized progressively on earth and dominion comes and the prophecy of Isaiah 65 comes to its earthly fulfillment. That sounds to, if I'm not mistaken, like post-millennialism. Yes, it is supposed to be a big post-millennialist. Gary North is. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. That one. See, that that one is taking it to its extreme by saying, by being such a law-abiding society, we will bring the kingdom of God to earth. I mean, we're not post-millennialists. I'm not going to defend post-millennialism. I don't think it's defensible inside Revelation, although there are many people that I respect that hold to it. Um, I, I don't. Um, however, um, I think it is extremely naive to say that that it, like he's scoffing at it. Like, haha! Can you can you imagine if the nations looked at godly law and said we want to copy that, and then the world got better? You know, just like I don't know what Bible you're reading. I kind of don't know what history you've been living in, but last time I checked, 
Christian law, God's law, has permeated throughout the entire earth right now. And the earth is way better than it was a thousand years ago, because, specifically because of God's kingdom working through all the little kingdoms of the earth. And so because of Christian law going out to places like India and the Middle East and all of Europe and the Americas, the world is a better place. Is it still yearning for the return of Christ? Absolutely. Is there still a ton of sin in the world? world? Absolutely. Have, has every knee bowed to Christ yet? No. But ungodly nations, I'm just going to take China as an example, like China, were conquered, destroyed by Christian nations. Had to, look, had to face the facts and look at Christian law in Europe and say, we should run our country like that. Now, did they get everything right? No, they didn't. And now they're communist crazies. Um, <laughs> and equally, Europe, did they get everything right? No, um, they've gone atheist and suffered the consequences already. And maybe the United States do. So this is no guarantee. That's why I'm not a postmodernist. I don't think that we have a guarantee from God that the United States will eventually become a godly nation, the holy crusader kind of thing. However, they have been, like the United States has been, a, a good and godly nation used by God. Um, Europe has been good and godly nations used by God. God has bettered the whole earth through his law tenfold, a hundredfold um, from what it was in the days of Rome. And so to scoff at things like the nations becoming better because of God's law is historically ignorant. It's like we, he sits in a, with a big library of books behind him pretending like God hasn't blessed the earth since the, the coming of Christ. Yeah, but we're not postponing it. So I, again, <laughs> I'm not guaranteeing anything, and I think Gary North would be um, equally naive to think that um, that eventually this nation um, is guaranteed to come to God because this nation has only existed for like 300 years. Maybe it'll be snuffed out. I don't think we have any guarantees like that from God. Um, but we do know that God has set precedence for blessing nations and the whole earth through his law. So who's to say that he won't make it better next year, next decade, next century? He has. Yep, I mean, just even thinking of examples, I would say the native people in Mexico were better off when the Spanish established a different governing system over them, mm -hmm. rather than the Aztecs, which they all hated. By the way, all the all the rivals of the Aztecs that were enslaved, they hated them because of the human sacrifice that was demanded. Mm -hmm. Even though the Spanish did a bad job in general, it was a better one because they were influenced by Christianity, by Christian mm -hmm. society. It wasn't perfect, because it's filled with sinful people. Every country is. It wasn't perfect. It was a step in the right direction compared to all the slaughter and human sacrifice that was happening right. in Central America at the time. Like was in India, there was this strange practice that stopped when we came under a British uh, dominion of the, if I recall correctly, widowed widows, widows wives, widows were often asked to burn themselves alive once their husband husband had died jump on the funeral pyre with their husband mm -hmm. and only in certain principalities but yeah it stopped it's a bad practice so so was it did did was britain a perfect country by no means was it was it going the right direction at least in many aspects compared to other societies that were not even subject at all to god's law i would say so yes mm -hmm. so all that said Regardless of what you think will happen in the United States or how the next election will go or whether or not people are genuinely saved when they vote for a better president versus a worse president, I can agree with you that the vast majority of people who voted for Donald Trump are not saved. And I also agree with you that there are saved people who voted for Joe Biden. But I tell you, it ought not to be that way. It ought to be that we all vote for a godly candidate. Amen. I think we all agree. Um, but given the choice of two 
ungodly candidates, it is it's still better to vote for the more godly candidate than the less godly candidate. And this man with the glasses lives in the real world. He decides with his dollars, with his vote, what is good and what is bad in the marketplace. He decides to boycott certain services. He decides to vote for certain people. And all of that should be based on God's law. But he's a little too busy pretending like God's law has nothing to say about our life today, except when he can't avoid it, like on murder and theft. And so we all should take deep consideration of why God gave the law. And if you don't believe it's valid anymore for today because of Jesus' coming, I would want you to read through the Sermon on the Mount, the, the most famous sayings of Jesus where he gives, you know, the, the whole love thy neighbor and all the rest, all the famous Jesus sayings. Mm-hmm. In there, right before he gives all the Sermon on the Mount, he expressly says, I, Jesus, did not come to get rid of the law, abrogate the law, whatever your particular translation says. He did not come to get rid of it. He came to fulfill it. And if you think that Jesus' fulfillment of the law is getting rid of the law, you disagree with Jesus because Jesus said he didn't come to get rid of the law, he came to fulfill it. So whatever your understanding of fulfillment means, it can't mean getting rid of the law. Otherwise, we can't even evangelize because by what standard can you hold people to if the law is completely gone? Right. So we all ought to take a closer look at the law. And I think that the problem with, I think every national problem can be pointed to being originated from sin. And what is sin but disobedience against God's law? And so I think that in order to pursue righteousness, we need to know what it looks like to pursue righteousness. And that can't be derived from your devotional. It's not derived from listening to sermons about who Joshua was as a historical person. All those are fine. You can do a daily devotional. You can read Joshua. You can listen to sermons about Joshua. That's fine. But if you aren't contemplating and dwelling on God's law, like the Psalms talk about, like the Proverbs talk about, like Jesus talks about, if you aren't doing that, you don't know what the actual standard for justice is. And you might think that you're righteous, but meanwhile, you're supporting evil, not even knowing it. You're supporting high taxes, not even knowing that that's evil. You're supporting... um, the rejection of the death penalty, the sustaining of murderers inside of prisons where we're all paying for them, not knowing that that's evil. And well, I don't claim to know everything that's that's um, good, because I don't. I don't know every single thing that God would have us do today, um, because I'm not that smart. I don't think anybody is. At least I'm trying. And I'd be, if you're going to correct me, please correct me from the Bible, because that's how I would like to be corrected. Mm-hmm. Amen. Any last closing comments, Sebastian? No, you put it plainly. Our standards should be scripture, extremely important for how we conduct ourselves and also what God's standards of righteousness are for society. Yep. So when you go to vote for local county commissioner, for president, for whoever, um, vote with the Bible in mind and not just the abortion issue, although I'm abortion is an incredibly important issue and it totally speaks to God's law. But think about all of God's law, which candidate uh, is more godly and think really on God's law because there are a lot of claims to truth, right? The Democrats as a party claim that they are upholding God's law of love for neighbor, but are they, right? And Republicans, same thing. They hold, they, they say they're upholding God's law um, for love for neighbor. And we should question, are they? Which one is closer? So we should objectively judge politics and not just subjectively judge them with our feelings. And if you don't live in the U.S., apply this standard to whatever yes. political parties are in your country. To England, to Peru, to Zimbabwe, wherever you are, God's law is applicable for all peoples everywhere, as he says in his law. All right. 
That's why we have found our cause. And so for the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been Michael the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thank you for listening to me ramble. Thank you, Sebastian, for being in there. I rant on the mic. Uh, we're going to talk about something completely different next time. Check us out on Spotify and iTunes and on Podbean. We're also on Facebook and YouTube, so find us wherever you want. If you want to see our lovely faces and the faces of our um, unwilling companions across the screen, you're going to have to go to YouTube or Facebook and check us out there. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye.